Hello and welcome to the Outdoorpreneur Podcast. I'm your host, John Rosenberg. On this show, we'll discuss the entrepreneurial journey, starting and running a small business, all things marketing, as well as environmental and tourism impacts. We'll also meet with athletes doing incredible things and find the parallels between their accomplishments and what it takes to be an entrepreneur. Thinking of starting your own business? Then you've come to the right place. We're here to help you lean into that fear and take the leap. Please visit theoutdoorpreneur.org to learn more. This show is brought to you by Cold Case Gear. Cold Case Gear are makers of ultralight and ultra-insulating outdoor accessories. Their thermally protective gear is built to withstand extremes in hot and cold so they can protect all of your outdoor essentials. Say goodbye to frozen or melted food, dead cell phones, and everything in between. Cold Case Gear is proudly made in the USA and built on purpose. To learn more, head on over to coldcasegear.com. Now let's start the show. And just a quick word of caution, Kevin and I got disconnected a couple of times on this call. Um, That is the um, downside of living in rural Colorado. Kevin mentioned he's trying out the beta of Starlink. Uh, Doesn't seem like it's going so hot. I just don't think progress is made with going going with the flow. You know, taking, taking the way everyone else does it doesn't result in in pushing the envelope. All right, everyone. Uh, thank you for tuning into an episode of the Outdoorpreneur Podcast. We are chatting today with uh, Kevin over at Seek Outside. Kevin, how is it going today? It is going well. You know, another day in paradise. Oh, man, absolutely. Um, and you were just saying that you're over uh, Ridgeway area. What's... Are you guys still full full winter mode there yet? Or are you seeing signs of spring? You know, frankly, March sucked. <laughs> um, it, it was awful. You know, it was slop. It was like uh, having a pig pen just everywhere, you know. Um, you couldn't get mud off of anything, you know. Yeah. You, you would get insanely muddy walking to get the mail. Um, and there was far more gloomy days than there were cheery days but now it seems like we've uh turned that corner at least for a little while so yeah yeah that's what it seems like i know i had i got all excited my driveway had like completely melted out and then right when it was dry we got hit with another um big storm um yeah so you know i would like to just jump kind of right in and you know ask you about you know, what's your, your origin story at Seek Outside and how, you know, how all of that came to be, um, as well as, you know, what your, what your background is when you had started Seek Outside. So there's, there's two stories there. There's a simple one and a complex one. Um, the simple one that my, my brother is visiting and we were chatting and I grew up in a pretty rural area. And he would always come from the city. I grew up with my grandma. And uh, I had my network of forts in the woods all around me, you know. I had three or four forts, tree houses, all sorts of stuff, right? Um, and I kind of realized when we were kind of talking about that, that I'm kind of still doing that, you know. I'm <laughs> making forts for the woods, <laughs> you know. Um, the real story is more along the lines of, 
I was snowshoeing in the winter and uh, I was thinking about hunting season and how to, uh, you know, hunting season can often be a mix of conditions that isn't really pleasant, you know, and you can get pretty wet and stuff like that. Um, so I thought about this teepee with a open fire, just like an Indian teepee. And I thought, wow, came home, checked it out. There were a couple other people, companies making something similar. Um, their price was quite high and kind of thought like, well, if we made one, what would it look like, right? That we would look for a, a different feature set. So my wife, Angie, who had like all of maybe one semester of snow sewing in home ec or something, you know, probably not even that. Um, I asked her to do that, um, to sew something up. Our first thing was very ugly, looked like a witch's hat. <laughs> she told me, see, I told you it was a dumb idea. And, uh, you know, this is stupid, right? Um, she never, never misses an opportunity to, uh, put me in my place. Um, <laughs> And I said, let's make a tiny one and and try to make it look a little better, you know? So we made a tiny one, and then we made another one, and it was much better, you know? And then we went and started going um, family camping with it, you know? And um, we were relatively impressed with it, and we decided... Maybe there's a business opportunity here. Our take is a little different. Um, what I was doing at the time, I worked from home, and I worked for Cisco Systems, the big IT giant, and I was a security researcher on the security research team. And I could do most of that. I'd worked from home for several years. Um, occasionally, I had to go to the big city or had to go to some events. Um and I knew at some point, or I figured at some point, um, that was going to come to an end um, because you, you always saw a lot of turnover with employees once they got to be around 50. You know, mm -hmm. a lot of times it would seem like they would get offered buyouts or, you know, stuff like that. So I didn't really have any illusion that that was going to be the rest of my life. Um, the way to avoid that is really through going into management. Um, but I didn't want to go into management and I didn't want to travel all over. Um, my dog needs to get let out. Let me <laughs> let her out. Come on. Um, but uh, that was really sort of the thing right there. And um, we did it. Um, I'll be, I would be lying if I said it was smooth sailing from the get go, you know, um, it was fraught with all sorts of misadventures. There were, there was times of lots of frustration. Um, no one was super supportive of it. Um, yeah. from the family thing, they were like much more like you have a great job. Why don't you just keep working your job and not worry about the other stuff, you know? But I've also always had much more of an entrepreneurial side to me. Um, I've always, you know, I used to be self-employed a long time ago, and I used to make high-end fancy guitar amps, 
you know, um, <laughs> one by one um, back in the 90s. Um, you can Google me and probably still find people talking about them on forums. Um, they're pretty well regarded. And they're probably kind of collector's items at this moment. Of course, I mean, in the video, you can see that there's a guitar amp behind me, you know. Um, so I've always been, I don't know, more of a bit of an under, uh, a bit of a, a bit of a thinker that goes against the flow. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, not, it's not intentional. It's just that I maybe process ideas and stuff in a certain way um, and have kind of a structure thinking about them. And usually I end up at different outcomes than what the rest of the world does or the simple solution. I almost always take the hard way. Um, And I find that there's a lot of learning in that hard way. You know, when you make mistakes, um, you learn more from the mistakes a lot of times than when you have success. Um, I think, you know, people people worry too much about making a mistake. Every one of us makes a mistake. I've made mistakes with this company. Um, Angie's made mistakes. Um, every one of us. And it's in my opinion, the best thing you can do is own it and rectify it instead of trying to do like the cat and cover it up. And next thing you know, all of a sudden you have a big box of smelly litter box mistakes or whatever. And no one really wants that. So I think that the mistakes can sort of help you define who you're going to become because of the learning experiences involved in them. And while I probably frustrate a lot of people close to me, um, you know, because I'm okay with making the mistake. I have this new tent design drawn up and I totally was talking to our designers. This very well might not work, but I need to see conceptually if this works and if it does work, um, you know, it'll be awesome, you know, uh, but don't judge it harshly on, oh, it's, it doesn't work, you know, because there's more ways to work around that. And some of it is the acquired knowledge. Um, and it was kind of the same way with like our zipperless shelters, you know, that, uh, were, that we now have the patent on. Um, but it was like, that had been kind of in my mind for years, conceptually, mm-hmm. some way to execute that. And I had told a couple people close to me and, you know, I was really kind of met with, with no, 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 you know, it can't, it can't be, or it won't, or whatever, or there's a mistake in your thinking, Mm -hmm. but I kept going back to it and really from lack of a better term, contemplating over the problem, right. And thinking that. I see it as it can work and we have to try it. And so finally I just kind of went against the grain, against the flow of everyone and said, we're going to try this and here's the dimensions I want you to build. And yeah, I mean, the first one wasn't the most pristine, but we learned that the concept could work, mm-hmm. you know, and then there's mistakes involved with it. Like the first time I took one out in the field, 
I took a bunch of different hardware to test for it, and I was archery hunting up above Timberline, and started raining. I got super wet. I was just barely above the willows, and I had these devices on there that I thought would work to facilitate the opening and closing, and it didn't. So then I had to get down and crawl oh, under the shelter, <laughs> which made me really wet. And I was like, okay, that's something to not do again. You yeah. know, um, you know, that's definitely a bad experience. And I kind of put on the customer hat like, no, nah, they ain't going to dig that. You know, right. we have to find a better way. Um, but after a few rounds of testing and stuff, um, you know, it's, it's a viable concept. Um, it's unique. It helps save weight and improve reliability. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I kind of think that we're helping to, you know, push the envelope forward in backpacking as far as weight, performance, um, reliability, those sorts of things with, with products like that. And we can incorporate some of the concepts in a lot of things. Yeah, yeah. So, man, you said a lot of um, – <laughs> there's a lot, lot of valuable – insight to to glean from um, what all you, you just said there I think um, you know a, a lot of what you said I think is mirrored in um, you know, mo- most entrepreneurs I find you know one you can't be can't be afraid of failure uh, you know trying something new and it's almost guaranteed right. that someone is gonna tell you no or yeah that's not a good idea or what are you doing you know Go, go with the sure thing, you know, whether like, you know, you've got this nice job or, you know, put a zipper on the tent. <laughs> that make that makes more sense. Um, right. But yeah. Not, you know, um, yeah. Not being afraid to fail, you know, te- testing these concepts, whether it's with a you know, physical product or, or an idea, um, you know, I, I think that's great. And then, yeah, bringing, you know, bringing something new to the table having having faith in your ideas and at least uh you know going after it and seeing if, if it's gonna work um you know i think yeah your your idea with the with the zipperless enclosure you know for the tent i mean out of how many you know thousands of tent models on the market right now mm-hmm. and you've got yours which is doing something uh completely new that that no one's ever seen before and um yeah that takes a lot of uh takes a lot of a lot of courage to bring that to the market but now you guys have the patent on that and is that something do you think um is is that something you guys you want you guys want to keep you know that within the seek outside brand because now you've got this you know patent is that something that you'd ever be interested in in licensing out to other people you know, um, first off, to step back a little bit, I just don't think progress is made with going but going with the flow. Mm-hmm. You know, taking taking the way everyone else does it doesn't result in in pushing the envelope. Um, as far as licensing, I might consider it under the right under the right circumstances. Um, I mean, being absolutely frank. Not everyone, even within Seek Outside, thought it was uh, a great idea. There were people that mm-hmm. thought it was stupid. Why don't you put a zipper there, you know, um, and not worry about it? Um, 
But then there were people with an SO that were like, holy cow, this is game changing. Mm-hmm. You know, we have other shelters that we are and other implementations that we are working on with it. Um, it really kind of, you know, obviously it will differentiate a product, right? Um, it's extremely reliable and for the most part, a user can fix it themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as licensing, I just don't know at this moment. Um, I mean, if someone approached us, I think we would we would chat for sure, right? To see kind of what they're thinking. Mm-hmm. But there's also, I mean, I have another shelter sitting in my yard right now that I hope people don't drive by trying to get a glimpse of it. You know, it's unreleased. It's it's extremely impressive, and it's going to have some features that further push the envelope forward. Um, but I don't know if that's going to actually see the light of day either. Mm-hmm. It's one of those things that we can't necessarily have 30 different shelters we make. You know, sometimes there's indecision on that, but it's a in my opinion, it's a very impressive shelter. And if I was going out in really cruddy weather, um, it would be one of the top. It's it's a smaller trekking pole height shelter, mm-hmm. but it's I, I joke it's so tight you can play quarters on it. You know, um, you know. Uh, but it it is. It's I have no fear about that thing performing in some awful weather. Um, you know, uh, we just have to keep exploring the concept and see where where it leads us you know Mm -hmm. and so there's a couple other concepts we're going to make protos of and we're going to learn something in those concepts as well and then we will probably pick like this shelter and this shelter and unfortunately we will probably have to uh phase out a shelter or two Mm -hmm. um which you know, you know. I know people will get roiled on that, you know. Um, but at some point, you know, you have to phase things out. I mean, we would still continue to always make accessories and stuff like that for people that have a shelter if we phase it out. Mm-hmm. Um, but we just, you know, a lot of skews slow you down your yeah. delivery. If you could make one skew and that was all everybody wanted, delivery would be so simple. You know, build me a thousand of these. That's what everyone wants. Right. You know. Yeah, and so you guys make you make everything here in the U.S. It's um, it's all done in in Colorado. Is that correct? Yeah, um, it's all the bulk of it is done at our facility, and we have. We're opening up another facility, so we have 18, 19,000 square feet under roof, probably. Um, last year with COVID, we were just really crammed. I don't know what happened there. Dude, sorry, we lost you. <laughs> yeah, like I said, I mean, it may be a lot faster, but there, there might be a hiccup or two uh, being beta. Yeah. Uh, but uh, we had a lot of people. We didn't even really get a chance to meet a lot of people uh Mm -hmm. we need to spread out a little bit we sent a lot of people home to work um we weren't sure how real the covid bump was you know if it was Mm -hmm. 
appears to be fairly real. Um, and, you know, we have some other places that sow some of our things that aren't under us, but they're trained by us mm-hmm. and, and everything. So I don't really have a desire to have 200 employees. Uh, at all. You know, I mean, we had a couple right. of a couple days ago and in a rough count and I thought it was like 58, um, which is far beyond what I ever imagined. You know, I was pretty stoked when we were at 25 or 30, you know? Um, but yeah, that's good. It's just that. Yeah. That's, um, that, that's amazing. You know, so I'm, I don't want to go into too much, but I, I am curious about, you know, your choice to, um, you know, make products here, um, where where that decision um you know came from um because a lot of people will go overseas for any you know any number of reasons um and i'm wondering if you know for you guys if it was about you know logistically um it's it's simpler when you can just meet with people right here and do it you know especially in-house um you know we uh we, uh, as we were in the process of starting it, the business, we stepped back and said, what attributes do we want for the company? Mm-hmm. Um, we wanted to have a strong value proposition, but strong value didn't necessarily mean cheap. Um, and we didn't know how well this idea even would fly, you know? Yeah, we could, maybe this was about the time Alibaba, Alibaba was mm-hmm. going on, but, you know, perhaps we could have went on Alibaba and found a pyramid tent and ordered 100 or 500 or something and went on because that's what some of the other companies do. They basically mm-hmm. are just importers and don't even have much hand in the design. Um, they're basically looking at a catalog and saying, that's what we want. Um, so we had to do it ourselves. We didn't necessarily want to do it ourselves, um, but big tents don't necessarily fit, um, fit in a cut and sew model. Um, and the reason being is just say you have a cut and sew and you have 5,000 square feet or something, right? The way you're going to make the most money is by getting the most machine operators going in in that building, you know, mm-hmm. um, because the tents are so big, um, they require more space, which means that maybe we can get the sewing density of half or something that someone else would. So it doesn't really fit in their models. And the fabrics we use also require some specialized tooling to work pretty well. Um, So we started with that. We were fortunate. Um, It was kind of during the downturn and and we met a lady who had actually worked in Marmot, uh, at Marmot, at the Marmot factory. There was a Marmot factory in Grand Junction. yeah, and she was very into the quality aspect, and so we really did a lot of testing and work on the quality and execution, and we used to have this joke that we had a lot of old marmot sewers, you know, as in former, but they also were, you know, 
they also had been aged a bit too because the marmot factory was like in the 70s or 80s you know um so that was really kind of our early uh labor force were the former um people that had sewed for sewn for marmot um and then they had maybe sewn for some other companies and all of that and it just grew i mean we shared a shop with somebody um it was you know kind of dark and dimly lit and kind of low budget uh then we rented our own shop and that was definitely low budget and dark and dimly lit and then we moved to another place that was a little bit upper a little bit higher budget but still wasn't what you would call a really nice facility and then a few years ago we rented out a place about nine thousand square feet which at the time seemed cavernous um but now it's cramped so great yeah um yeah i I like the you know the value proposition there and um a lot of people you know they unfortunately they want they want both they want you know one they want their product made in the u.s but then they are also looking to get it at you know the cost of well you know made, made in china and it just uh it doesn't it doesn't work that way um, but I think, yeah, you know, you, you're able to really, you know, you know who your customers are and, and what, and what values, um, they have. And I mean, clearly <laughs> it's very clearly working, working for you guys. Um, yeah. I mean, that's a, that's an important thing you brought up is that we've tried to outsource things. We've tried to outsource marketing, you know, we get, mm-hmm. I don't know, 10, 20 inquiries a day from marketing firms that try to make us feel insecure about our marketing and get us to sign up and they're going to have us rolling in cash, right? Um, we've tried a couple. They just, that just doesn't work out. They don't know yeah. our customers. So we handle um, all of that ourselves because we know our customers. We know the bulk of what they're looking for and the why. And we try to really focus on having really honest customer service uh, where it's all right to tell someone we don't make a product that works well for you or isn't going to do that. And the funny thing is you'd actually be shocked how many of those customers come back and buy something else from us. It's like having that honest dialogue. They seem to respect you as not trying to blow smoke up there (laughs) and you know, be like, well, if I need this, I'll come buy it from you guys, you know? Yeah, uh, definitely. Yeah. The, the honesty and, and authenticity, um, you know, for, for my business, I kind of, I built that into the core values because I think, you know, especially in today's day and age, um, well, there, there's, there's a lot of rabbit holes to go down there, but, um, you know, I think, yeah, one, you know, no, know, knowing your customer and, and their values and understanding that, you know, not, not all products are for all people and that's fine. Right. And so, you know, when you look at, at marketing, um, yeah, there, there's so much, I feel like, you know, the landscape right now, it's so, it's just extremely crowded. There's, you know, a million brands out there all vying for the same piece of the pie. And yeah, just, I find the marketing tactics these days are just, 
I mean, I, I'm curious how, how you see that the marketing landscape now, you know, versus when he started back in 2009 and how things have kind of shifted. Um, when we, when we started, um, we focused on product and customer service. Um, we were going to take care of people. You know, if you bought from us, we were going to treat you like family and we weren't going to leave you hanging at all. You know, if, if, if we could at all help it, right. You're going to get taken care of because we're going to make mistakes. I mean, that goes back to the whole thing. Making a mistake is natural. We're not going to be perfect. I mean, I want us to be perfect. We have processes and all these things to try to be perfect, but there's going to be times when stuff slips through the cracks. Right. Um, we did not focus on marketing at all. And in fact, it was almost a running joke. Uh, it seemed to be in online things about how bad our marketing was. You know, like SO released a new pack. I love their packs, but geez, couldn't you put up more than three photos and, you know, try to sell it to me or whatever, yeah. you know? Um, you know, um, and going back to going against the flow our backpacks went against every flow there was you know um but we've gotten better at the marketing um but it's still not uh, a lot different you know we have a couple influencers that i mean frankly most influencers use our gear you know, whether we have a relationship with them or not, um, the bulk of the Instagram hunting, you know, hunting crowd, you know, uses us at some level, right? Mm -hmm. um, it, but I don't, we don't need to BS people or be over the top. Like we don't, in reviews, when people do reviews, some yeah. people seem to be surprised when they write in about like well what do you want to put in the review and how much oversight and i'm like i don't care say what you feel you know um mm -hmm. i just i just care that you're factually accurate and on product naming and weight and those things right that's all i right. really care if you think it sucks tell people it sucks you know if you think it's fantastic you know, sing it. I mean, I'm not going to put words in your mouth. Right. And we want to, you know, because even if someone doesn't like it, that's an opportunity for us to improve. You know what I mean? We can delve mm -hmm. into that a bit and be like, why? Maybe there is something. Maybe it was a, a fit issue or maybe it was an expectation thing where they thought a stove was going to, they're going to put a few sticks in it and it was going to run all night and keep the tent at 70, you know, right. and it's not. Um, so we have to figure out where those issues are and take responsibility and ownership for them. But other than that, um, I don't want, I don't want to be heavy handed with review people. And when it does come to influencers, the couple few that we have a relationship with, um, it isn't necessarily so much about their influence. It's about, are they, I, I've always said this, are they seek outside type people? Because there's a certain type of person. We don't want the person who's an over-the-top 
salesman or who's just doing whatever staging stuff we want it to look real we want them to have an honest dialogue we don't want to control that and face it not everything goes through i mean last year there was a group that wanted some gear for us for hunting in new zealand in the spring you know um that didn't work out very well um you know, it, but I trust the person and people mm-hmm. involved in it, and it's not a reflection of of them. It's just what happens. You know, right. I, I mean, not not everyone, not every trip goes through. So, right, right. Um, so I'm curious if you know in the marketing realm or if any any other aspects of the business, if there's either been you know things that that you've done or the company does that. Um, you, you know, that it's, it's the right move, um, for the company in whatever, you know, fashion that is, but it's not something that, that you personally, you know, either, you know, I don't want to say, you know, you disagree with, but maybe something that, that doesn't personally resonate with you, but you understand, you know, that this is a positive, this is a positive thing to do, you know, um, for our company to, to move things forward. You know, there's sometimes I don't have oversight on everything. Um, as a company, we, we had a meeting a couple days ago, and I stressed that I want it to still feel like a startup, right? Um, and we put in some structure and stuff that hopefully allows it to feel more startup-y than mm-hmm. button-down corporate uh, or anything like that. But um, from the marketing perspective – there really hasn't been. I mean, like I said, we've hired some groups. Um, You know, one group had a shotgun approach and I prefer a rifle approach in marketing, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, I'm like, you don't need to try to appeal to three million potential buyers with a message. You need to find say a hundred thousand that'd be way more business than we could even deal with if we have mm-hmm. one hundred thousand you know good you know i mean maybe we have ten thousand orders a year but i mean if we had one hundred thousand that wanted to buy from us that's 10 years worth of orders you know right. so we need more of the rifle approach and it's funny because the marketing firms usually have been fans of our brand and sometimes they've been users of it you know, mm-hmm. um, but they didn't, you know, in one case, um, I had been doing AdWords, Facebook stuff, you know, cause I had the tech background. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't spend a ton of time on it. I just literally looked for certain attributes and, you know, put those in a group and shared some photos and you know it it kind of boost you know it wasn't wasn't like some epiphany of of marketing and that's where it's kind of funny when i get these other business owners that tell me what a great job we've done marketing i almost want to just spit up on myself (laughs) because i'm like the marketing's mostly been done by the customers you know yeah um and but anyway they it wasn't that they didn't do a good job, but they were far less effective at it than I was. You know, uh, they were a digital marketing agency. 
And they went three or four months, tried to improve, 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 and it wasn't really going anywhere. So I just toggled on the campaigns I had to see if maybe mm-hmm. maybe my campaigns were flawed or maybe it was just the time of the year, right? And then our next meeting, they were like, uh, yeah, your stuff does a whole lot better than ours. Um, I don't blame you for taking it back in-house. You yeah. know, they're like, we just don't get those kind of rates. But it comes down to having a good idea who our customers are. And, I mean, I'm one of our customers, you know, at some level. I know why I make certain decision points. And so, and that's it. You know, yeah. it's relatively simple. You know, I think the, be- the best marketing, really, that, that you can do in the long run is putting out a good product um, because that's going to do a lot better than, you know, blow, blowing smoke up, up people's butts. Yeah. You know, those things are, they can be marketed, but they always have this very sharp, like sine wave curve, right? You made everyone think you made a better sandwich. Uh, Everyone buys it. And then they Mm -hmm. all are like, Oh, that really disappointed. And all of a sudden we, on our product releases, I'm also very fine with very slow buildups. Usually it's year two and three of a product that really start kicking butt for us because um, we just don't push it super hard. Um, we aren't super pushy with it. You know, I mean, the first year, like when we introduced the zipperless stuff, people were curious, you know, but they weren't necessarily buy curious that comes across sounding weird <laughs> but i mean by you b-u-y you know um uh but they were curious right like that's mm-hmm. interesting but there's probably some whatever with it right but then they started getting it out and showing people and you know being like wow that's awesome you know um i wish i'd come up with that or whatever you know and then on year two and three they do substantially better Mm -hmm. so i i'm curious i know i know seek outside is uh, is obviously you know you guys are heavily involved in um conservation um and and all that all that good stuff uh with with public lands i know you supported uh dave and amy freeman when they did their year Mm -hmm. in boundary waters um yeah in in today's digital age where you know public land usage is growing you know i think exponentially um and that you know in turn is of course going to be good for seek outside and good for other businesses in the outdoor industry um i i'm just i'm wondering what your what your take is just on how you know how responsibly our our public land is is being used, and if you know keeps on growing at this rate, is that something that you know? I hate the buzzword of sustainability, but you know when you saw the the, the increased numbers um, in 2020, you know specifically just in Colorado and really all throughout the West, um, yeah. Do do you have concern that this? increase in public land usage is going to potentially lead to some, you know, ill, ill effects. Um, well, you and I live on opposite sides of the same mountain range. 
So mm-hmm. if if last year on your end of the mountain range was anything like last year on this end of the mountain range, um, there were way more people than I am accustomed to, mm-hmm. and frankly, way more than I really want um, personally, right? But I'm also mm-hmm. glad that people are getting out. So it's kind of like, you're like, oh, someone's kind of hiking my hidden lake, you know, that I go to um, because they found it on Instagram. And now instead of having the place to myself, there's 20 people there. Um, We can't stop that technology um, and the sharing of it, right? Um, And I think there is a balance. I was wishing there was another mountain range last year that was mm-hmm. that was more just for the locals to play in um but there isn't and i did find some spots that due to due to their mix of attributes were still relatively free of people um and pleasant it was like And unfortunately, we got disconnected again here. You know, poor internet connection is a, you know, it's a small price to pay to have uh, beautiful, beautiful mountain views uh, every, every day of your life. So thank you, Elon Musk, for trying to fix the problem. You know, I really apologize. Yeah, hey, pe- people that live in urban environments need to need to understand that <laughs> that solid internet connection is is a luxury. Yes, it is. It, it is. Um, so I found some areas that kind of gave me my solitude because I enjoy the solitude aspect. Uh, I mean, I, I enjoy seeing people get out. Um, I have to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's part of our mission is to get people outside and improve their experience or try to improve their experience. Now, I don't necessarily like it when there's people in my hunting spot, but that's just something you kind of have to deal with. And it is what it is. There isn't really a way around it. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, we could throw some grizzly bears here um, <sighs> and that would probably reduce people, but I don't really want grizzlies either. You know? Right. Yeah. It's, um, you know, it's, it, it's a tough topic and there just, there really isn't, there's not a simple answer. There's no, you know, yes, it's good that more people are getting outside or no, it's not. Cause I, I think the bottom line is what we need to get to is a place of there's more people who are getting outside who understand how to how to do so responsibly. Um, yeah, there's going to have to be the education aspect. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. Just, you know, other otherwise, it's we're, we're not going to have we're not going to have the these places left in a hundred years. And um, you know, when I, when I look at specifically all the, the digital marketing stuff and I, I hate to u- use Instagram in this, but man, I mean, how, how often do you come across an advertisement that's, you know, showing or promoting, um, you know, irresponsible, irresponsible use of like a campsite where, you know, someone's got a campfire next to an Alpine Lake or, <laughs> Most the most a large percentage of the photos by larger corporations probably don't always depict 
the um, unless they're just focused on the people, they probably oftentimes don't necessarily, in my opinion, depict a real backcountry experience. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? They they maybe promote this idyllic thing of you know sitting outside your tent with a cup of coffee and Bambi comes walking up to you and stuff like that. That, is, mm-hmm. that isn't real, you know. Um, you know, but I can't, I can't change how other, other people market, right? All I can really control is what we do and who we are involved with and how we support people, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think um, just as a whole, just having that, you know, undertones of authenticity, you know, within within your brand or the things that you're selling and the message that you're putting out, um, that that goes a really long that goes a really long way. Um, So you have to you have to be authentic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm curious, I'm curious when you, so when you guys started, um, started this thing and you made your first tents and you got, um, you know, the wood burning stoves as well. I I'm curious what kind of, what different challenges you had on, cause the, you know, the stove thing is a whole, it's a whole other, it's a whole other thing. Um, I'm curious if that was, um, yeah, you know, just what, what challenges you, you've had there? Did you, are there any, you know, like legal challenges to selling a a, a stove in a, in a tent versus just the, the tent itself? <laughs> um, yes and no. So you have like the Canadian um, regulations for fireproofness of fabrics, and they're very outdated. And very uh, not realistic um, on that. And we've had people that have wanted to basically import us into Canada mm-hmm. um, to be able to save on the shipping costs. It kind of makes sense. Like we do a significant amount of business with Japan. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, and it makes sense because it's 95 bucks to ship a tent over there, but if you ship 50 of them, you know, it's a lot less. Or in the case of the Japanese, you know, distributor, I think they ordered 450 tents. Um, so it definitely gives some economy of scale there. Um, but there's some challenges in that. Now, like for the Canadians, they can buy us all day long across the border on their own thing. But to be able to get into an actual store, you have to have like every variation of every product certified. And it might take up to a year or two to get certified. It's just too much mm-hmm. of a hassle yeah. in, in the end. So, you know, I don't even really worry about that. We build a high-performance product. Um, it's not going to be for everybody. Um, some people's mind are just blown about the floorless, and they think ants are going to come in there in the middle of the night and pick them up and carry them away. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I was on another podcast recently, and sometimes, you know, stuff doesn't go that great. And he was talking about that he was camping with someone who was in a bivy sack under a tarp and he heard him yelling in the middle of the night, it's got me. 
and he went out there and there was a black bear dragging the bivy sack away with him in it whoa um, you know um so he had a floor right in his bivy sack he probably felt very safe but sometimes sometimes you get a surprise right, right. um and I, I get it where people feel a little um like oh my but frankly it's easier a lot of times just mm -hmm. just don't stress out so much about your perceptions you know instead of taking your boots off at the door you can walk in and out and do whatever you know it's not a big mm -hmm. deal it is actually kind of nice. I, I'd always uh, describe it as, you know, it's like the equivalent of, uh, you know, having an exposed brick house, you know, <laughs> you, can see, you can see and feel feel the interior. Um, I, I always like yeah. it because it's just easy. You know, if you want to, I don't typically cook inside of my tent, but, you know, when I'm dealing with a floorless um, shelter, it's normally I, yeah, I'm not um, I, I'm not a, I'm not as worried about that. Um yeah. So before before I let you go, I just want to yeah see you know what what advice um, you have to to someone who is looking at you know starting their own business and maybe what um, what your biggest you know challenge was I, th I think mentally to to get over to to start and then continue to grow seek outside perseverance against the criticism you know that was that was the big one because we got criticized on all ends we got criticized by competitors that weren't kind to us you know what i mean um there were people that probably were forum plants that would criticize us you have to have a you know we still get some criticism you know um you know, not necessarily from customers, um, but, you know, we still get some criticisms and you just have to kind of have a thick skin <laughs> and believe in what you're doing. Now, I will preface this with saying that not every idea is a good one, right? Um, I'm not immune to that either. You know, I have ideas that don't work. So you really kind of have to, a lot of times, it's really tricky to try to do something new that stretches people's perceptions and concepts um, and get and get the honest feedback you have to be able to compartmentalize their feedback in a, in a way that is actionable um, and not if they don't like it maybe it isn't a knock against the product. Maybe it was a knock on where they were or what the conditions were or, you know, and you have to, and you have to do that in design too. Like you have to be able to take the feedback, which sometimes is broad. Like I hate that pack, <laughs> you know, it's like, Oh, mm -hmm. thanks. We're that's, that's pretty, that's a little too broad, you know, let's <laughs> get into it. And what did you hate? And I was like, oh, it doesn't fit you very well. And here's how we can rectify that or, or something like that. So mm -hmm. you have to take that and, you know, carefully dissect. You have to have thick skin and you have to carefully dissect the feedback into when it's, um, 
when it's into constructive criticism, because you're going to get people that are going to criticize you. They're going to criticize your product. You know, they're going to have a different opinion of a product than you do. I mean, I've had people send me a list of improvements that they would like to see on the Cimarron, you know, Mm -hmm. and, you know, I delve into it and I'm like, well, it wasn't designed to be used like this, you know, Um, and then they, then they get, I've had some people be like, well, fine, if you don't want my help, and I'm like, you know, we've sold several thousand of those tents. And this is the first time I've received that feedback. Right. You know what I mean? Um, maybe someone else has the same thing. But, I mean, you know, they probably took it as my reluctance to incorporate their desires. Um, they probably took it as a, as a negative and an attack on them when it wasn't. Mm-hmm. It was just like, well, the data says that – 7,000 people own that tent and this is that first time we've gotten that feedback you know Um, so yeah yeah it's always funny that you know someone gets uh, a Cimarron and then they're like you know I didn't like that didn't have a floor I'm like well you you knew that going in you knew that going into this right Um. right (laughs) right you know uh, on this one they wanted more tie loops on the door you know because the door was noisy with the door open in the wind. And I was like, <laughs> right. well, most people close a door in the wind right. to prevent things from becoming a sale. And, you know, yeah. so that's what yeah. it is. No, I think, I think that's, yeah, that's, that's great advice. Um, yeah, really just kind of, it all comes down to, yeah perseverance and you know believing believing in yourself and your mission but also being able to take and understand yeah criticism and and turn it into into something positive and um yeah you just keep you know just keep keep working on it every day and eventually you know you'll 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 have something good um yeah so i think that that's all i've got for you if there's anything else you want to you want to say anything exciting seek outside's got uh, going on this year Well, we've just been super busy. Um, we're trying to get new products in, but it's hard to get new products and we can't um, make all the ones that we're currently selling. Um, hopefully, we get a little more capacity. We're doing some things to try to do that. But on the entrepreneurial stuff, you know, you have to have a strong spine because people will eat you up and really ruin your day if you if you take those things too personal, mm-hmm. you know? Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Well, Hey Kevin, it has been great chatting with you. Thanks again for, for taking the time. And um, yeah, we hope you, you enjoy the, the rest of the week and you guys get some, some nice weather out there. Yeah. I hope so too. Uh, take care. All right. Take care.
Thank you for tuning in Thank to this episode of the Outdoorpreneur Podcast with Kevin over at Seek Outside. I had a really great time chatting with him, and it's been interesting as I talk to more people, finding a lot of the common threads that uh, business owners have, and you know, mainly that is having that that perseverance and and going after. Um, what you think are are good ideas and just you know be, having the confidence to test the waters if you're not familiar with seek outside they make some of the premier uh, ultralight backcountry uh, hunting and camping equipment made right here in colorado go ahead and check them out at seekoutside.com and if you want to uh, learn more about the Outdoorpreneur podcast and what our mission is, you can head on over to theoutdoorpreneur.org and uh, check it out and sign up to get email updates. And uh, when we get new podcast episodes available, you will be the first to know. So thanks, everybody.